We're finishing up sort of true this, this week, and it's been, again, one of my favorite sermon series to preach. I enjoy this stuff. I love this stuff. I love thinking about truth. I love thinking about how valuable and how important it is. Church, our view and our understanding and our, our, under, our, our, our understanding of truth and what is truth is of infinite importance and value of infinite importance and value. It's massive. It's huge. It's so important. And, it's, and so it's so important. We need to stop and think about what is true. We started out week one establishing something that was, and it was this. You remember, truth is not a what, but it's a who. Truth is not a what, but truth is a who. We need a standard of truth in our country, a standard of truth in our society, or to be honest, to be honest with you, truth become whatever society says it should become, right? We kind, of, we kind of know this. You know, society years ago gave us the mullet and believed the mullet was okay. And so, tr- so society can't be trusted for truth. We need a standard of truth. This, 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 well, it's not a yard stick, actually, it's a four, four, four foot stick. This long yard stick is a standard of truth. This standard does not change. This yard stick is four feet long. This yard stick does not change. You want to build something, you're going to measure something. If you want to know what's true all the time in measuring, you pull out a yard stick and you check it out and you measure it by that. If we don't have a standard of truth in our lives, we, were, we are susceptible to any truth that comes our ways. Again, remember, society is not always correct and not always right. We need a standard of truth. And of course, we know what truth is. And Jesus came and said, he is the truth, he is the way, that he is the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. Now, our society wants to re- change that, repackage that, and reformulate that to mean something else. We need a standard of truth in our, in our nation, in our culture, in, in our world, because the truth is we have a sin condition, don't we? We have a sin condition. We have a problem. It's sin, and sin destroys. Sin destroys families. Sin destroys people. Sin destroys dreams. Sin destroys things around us. We have a problem with that, and we need a solution, and that, of course, is Jesus Christ. He came and he redeemed us. Now, redeem is kind of a church word, isn't it? We don't use the word redeemed a lot, unless you're a couponer. You know, if you're a couponer, you kind of do because you take this piece of paper or whatever it might be on your phone. It's pretty much worthless and valueless unless you cash it in on the right thing, right? My mom growing up was a couponer. She liked to cash in coupons, those kind of things. And she would get 10 cents off a dozen of this or a dozen of that. You know, you take this piece of paper that by and large is completely worthless, but because of what's on that paper and because of how you can trade it in, it has value. Jesus took us. Sinful people, fallen people that we know ourselves and we know the truth deep inside, don't we? We know that we do not have a lot, but he came, he cashed us in, he redeemed us and gave us something of incredible value. That, church, is good news. Today I want to talk about some sort of true beliefs about right and wrong. Sort of true beliefs about values that determine how we see sin in our culture and in our lives. The question we're going to answer today is, what makes someone a big old sinner? 
What makes someone a sinner? What, how does that happen and how does that work? How many before have seen the movie Wedding Crashers? You've seen it before. Raise your hand if you have seen Wedding Crashers. Okay. Now, how many of you guys today would say that that was a great movie? Don't answer, you may not want to, answer, you want to answer, raise your hand because the reality, if you saw it, you're a big old sinner, right? Come on now. That movie was pretty dirty, wasn't it? Now, the reality is, is that many probably more saw that movie then raise their hands. So that makes you the big old sinners because you actually uh, lied about not seeing it. So you're the big old sinner. So the reality, no, this is, this is a, a true story. When I was a youth pastor, that movie first came out. And I remember I was talking to this kid in my youth group, and I was like, hey, man, he was trying to, you know, kind of do some small talk. And I was like, have you seen any good movies lately? And so he said, oh, yeah, I saw this great one, Wedding Crashers. And this is, you know, back when it came out. And so I'm like, oh, okay. And I, I, my head's not in the sand. I, I kind of know what that movie's all about. So I said, hey, great. I said, uh, you know, hey, I've been thinking about what, what we've my wife. And I was like, hey, you know, what if we go with you this week and see that movie? Because he wanted to see it again. And his smile turned to like this kind of blank look. And he said, oh, no, no. Pastor, you can't go see it with me. That movie's pretty raunchy. And you're a pastor. And that's for people like us sinners to watch. You know, out of the mouths of 14-year-olds, right? And so I said, well, why not? Why can't I watch? He said, it's for sinners like, it's for sinners like me. So I think in many ways, we have some truth decay in our lives. Now, if you're new with us today, I want to review some of the key terms we've studied in the past few weeks. We've talked about two things, two ideas, and hopefully by now you have these pretty well written down or pretty well understood. Relativism and subjectivism. Those are two important things we have to look at if we're going to look at what truth really is. First one, relativism. Relativism is our, our working definition is the assumption that there is no such thing as absolute truth. For example, if you're, if you're 50s and older, when you grew up, you probably believed that everyone around you believed in absolute truth. What was true then is true today. These no, this things don't change. Relativism leads secondarily to the idea of subjectivism. Truth, if you believe that truth is not the same, it kind of floats, it kind of evolves. What was once true is not true today. You can't tell me what to believe because what's true for me is not true for you. And it kind of changes and moves around. Subjectivism says that truth is subject first to me. I, the subject, have the right to determine what's right and wrong without submitting my judgment to any authority outside myself. For instance, I could say that, you know, this yardstick is actually really six feet long. I could say that all I want, couldn't I? I could say this is six feet long, you know, inches a foot, all that. I could say that. Doesn't make it right. See, I need to subject myself to a truth outside myself. But our world today is trying to redetermine and refashion the idea of truth. That truth depends on me and what my belief is and what I think. And that's more important than anything else. These two beliefs cause people to say, you have no right to tell me what's right and wrong. And since there's no absolute truth... You can't try to impose your truth on me. It's a sneaky, sneaky, sort of truth thing that sounds kind of good in the outset, but really the reality is it couldn't be farther from the truth. What makes this relevant to us today we're talking about is that these two common belief systems, subjectivism and relativism, have led to a huge shift in virtues in our society. Now, what would you say, for example, what would you say is our number one most quoted scripture in, the, in our, our, our culture today? 
How many of you would say it's probably John 3.16? Who would say it's John 3.16? You know, you've seen it at the, at the football games, you know, it's spoken all the time. How many would say that, yeah? Many of us would. Now, the actual reality is if you said it 10 years ago, you'd probably be right. But the reality is there's a new scripture now that's far more quoted even than John 3.16. How many would say it's Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord. Plans to prosper you, on and on and on. Who would say that? Now, if you're going to be going to a, a, an evangelical church, that might be true, but the reality is there's a scripture that's far more quoted even outside our churches than those things. And I might even say misquoted because in reality it is. It's Matthew 7, 1, and it's judge not lest ye be judged. A study was done several years ago of people in America, the most quoted scripture, the one that we'd heard the most, and that is what came up. Judge not, yes, lest ye be judged. Even non-Christians use that one all the time. Isn't that interesting? That that's the scripture now that is kind of defined and kind of the one we say, hey, you can't judge me. You can't, the Bible even says you can't judge me. You can't tell me what's going on. Isn't that interesting, based on our culture's shift away from an absolute truth? You can't tell me what's going on. You can't judge me. That's what is going on in our lives, in our world today. But I digress. This morning, uh, for example, during the time of Jesus, historians tell us that the biggest, most important virtue during his time, the biggest, most important thing that they wanted to see was justice. Justice was huge in Jesus' day. God is a just God, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You do something wrong, you have to pay. If you commit some sin, there will be a penalty. They believed and they loved justice. Well, that's not the way it is anymore, is it? It takes a rocket scientist to know that's not where we are today. I submit to you that the most common virtue in our world today is not justice. I believe the most common virtue in our world today is tolerance. Tolerance is important, isn't it? Tolerance is a big deal in our culture. Tolerance makes a big difference. Now, this has huge consequences. Now, for some of us, tolerance just simply means that I don't have to like you or like what you're doing, but I'll tolerate you, right? You know, if you you have a mullet, I'll tolerate you. I don't have to like you, but I'll tolerate it. But, but you know, maybe, you know, I tell a lot of cat jokes and football jokes in this, you know, I preach. And some of you guys maybe not like that, you know, and you'll tolerate me uh, and my cat jokes and my football jokes to get through the idea that maybe I'll say something popular about or you like about your team or you like about cats. And, and I am starting to kind of like cats a little more. I just can't finish one all by myself yet. And so, you know, but uh, you're hoping that sometime, some way, someplace, I'll say something nice about something that you want to you believe in. That's tolerance. We'll tolerate something that we like or something we dislike or dis- disagree with. That's tolerance for many of us. But in our world nowadays, there's a new definition for tolerance. It's basically this. All beliefs, all values, all lifestyles are equal and should be given equal value. All beliefs, all virtues, all values, all lifestyles are equal and should be given equal value. Further, what tolerance tells us is it doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter how you live, as long as you don't hurt anybody else, right? We hear that around our world, don't we? It doesn't matter that big. It's not that big of a deal. Truth is relative. Truth is not that big of a deal. So, you know, believe what you want to believe. Just don't hurt anyone else. 
Further, I think in many ways we've taken that idea to another extreme that if you disagree with somebody, if you talk about what you believe, it's not how they think or they believe. Tolerance says you are hurting me because we can't disagree on anything else. That's painful. That's hurting. Now, that's, that, that's tolerance that you can't do that. You can't say those kind of things. Don't judge me. I won't judge you. There's no truth anyway. Just Let's just live and let's just get along and let's just do our thing. Don't tell me what you think. Don't tell me what you believe. Everything has equal value because everything is absolutely equal. Our world's telling us those things now. You can capture that idea in a couple of verses of Scripture. Check out 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, verses three, four, 3 through 4, Paul, the teacher, is teaching his, his student Timothy this. He says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of p- teachers to say whatever their itching ears want to hear. Hey, it's your body. You can do whatever you want. It's your life. Do whatever you feel that you need to do. Don't let anyone tell you how to live your life. The bottom line is you should be happy. God wants you happy. Live your life. Do your thing. Quit telling me what's going on. God wants it that way. It's okay. Itch, itch, scratch, scratch. And we, we go on and we listen to those things. It feels good to be told that we're okay and you're okay. Verse 4 goes on. Then they will turn their ears away. From what? It says they will turn their ears away from the truth. And they'll turn aside to what? They'll turn aside to sordid truth. They'll they'll turn aside, they'll turn away from the truth, and they will turn their lives to myths. Again, notice right there what that says. That says they will turn their ears away from the truth. They will turn aside from the truth. They will turn their ears to myths. I want to go through today three sort of true beliefs of the virtue of tolerance has brought us in our culture and how dangerous these things are. So if you're taking notes, the first one's common. The first one's this, I'm not a bad person. I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. You know, I, I mow my lawn. I, I, I'm, I'm playing with my kids. You know, I do my thing. I, I winked at an old lady the other day at Walmart, make her feel good about herself. You know, I mean, I'm a pretty good person. And if I'm a bad person, I'm not as bad as you are. I mean, let's be honest. I'm pretty good. I Maybe I'm not always good, but you, on the other hand, are far worse than me. I mean, let's be honest. I don't cuss nearly as much as you do. You know, I mean, maybe I do when I hit my, hand, my finger with, my, with a hammer. Or maybe I do when I get pulled over by the cops. But, but not as much as you. You're far worse than I am. See, we're tempted to always look at our lives and compare our lives and make ourselves feel a little better that maybe I really am not such a bad person. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty okay. And that sort of true belief, we have two tools at our disposal to believe that way. The first one is a tool of comparison. Again, I don't cuss as much as you. I don't do as bad of things as you do. I'm a pretty good person. I'm all right. You're worse. I'm better. That kind of thing. That's the first one. Number two we do is we can repackage sin. Repackage the idea. You know, I know I'm supposed to forgive this person. I know I'm supposed to, you know, release them from this thing. God tells me that. But Pastor Steve, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how much they hurt me. I'm not going to forgive. I'm going to learn from my past. I'm not going to forget what happened because if I forget, they might hurt me again. And so I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to forget. And we repackage sin to be whatever we want it to be. Don't say I lied. It was just a little white lie. You know, it wasn't that big of a deal. I was exaggerating. Everybody exaggerates, right? Don't tell me I lied. 
Don't tell me I stole. Don't tell me I did these kind of things. We repackage the idea that sin is really not that big of a deal when really in reality it's a massive deal. I'm not a bad person. We compare, repackage sin until it's no big deal anymore. We forget that sin separates us from God. It's a massive deal. It's a huge deal. Number two thing that tolerance has brought us in our culture is that number two, number two value is that you have no right to tell me how to live. Again, you know, you can't, who are you to judge me? Less, judge not, lest you be judged. Don't tell me these things. I can do whatever I want. Besides, you're doing some pretty bad stuff there too, buddy. Don't tell me how to live my life. I see how you live your life. You have no right to tell me how to live. Remember a time when a, a guy came to my office and was asking for help from the church, and I didn't know him at all, and, and he came in, and he, he, needed, he needed money for his rent, and so... I started talking. I said, well, you know, what's, you know, what's your, you have a job? Yeah, I have a job. Well, you know, how, you know, how much money do you make? If he started talking this stuff through. And it turned out he had a pretty good job and he had a pretty good life. The problem was he had two very life-controlling instances. He was a massive gambler and he had a massive problem with alcohol. He was spending literally hundreds and hundreds of dollars every month on alcohol and gambling. Just wasting entire paychecks at the casino. And so rather than just say, well, I'm just going to throw some money at you, I said, I want to really help you. And I, let's, let's talk. Talk about how to break free from some of these things in your life. And he stood up in my office and pointed his finger at me and said, young man, because he was much older than me, he said, young man, you have no right to tell me how to live. And he walked out of my office and stormed off. That's our culture nowadays. You can't tell me how to live. I do my thing. I do things okay. That's how I want to be. You can't tell me how to live. Sad. Now, what I want to do today is I want to take you and show you how this sort of true belief system, number one, and how you kind of add it to sort of true belief, number two, you get sort of true conclusion, number three, which is where we're going right now. And these are dangerous beliefs filling our culture. And it's belief setting us to a profoundly dangerous conclusion. Belief number one is I'm not a bad person. Belief number two, you have no right to tell me how to live, equals Belief number three, I can justify doing anything I really want to do. It's exactly where tons of people are living today, isn't it? Neighbors and friends and coworkers and other people around us. You can't tell me how to live. I'm a pretty good person. You can't tell me how to live. I can pretty much do whatever I want to do. And let that sink in for a few minutes this morning. This is where it's all too easy for us as believers and us as people to even fall into some of those same traps as other people too, isn't it? It's easy for us to fall in the trap that says, well, I'm not perfect. Well, you know, I try my hardest. I try my best. I'm not a great person. You know, I try this thing. It's easy for us to take this very basic belief that we, that we, that we, that we can't justify anything we do and kind of package in this idea that says, well, I'm not perfect. I can't do the, the really great thing. And we kind of repackage this and say, well, you know, it's basic truth, yes, but well, maybe not for me. I'll be honest this morning, church. I'm guilty of these very same things in my life. It's easy for me sometimes to look in the mirror and say, you know, I'm a maturing believer. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I, you know, I'm a pastor. I do this. I do that. I'm not all that bad. And then when sin knocks me between my eyes and I say, oh, what did I do? And I say, well, maybe I'm not really all that bad a person. It's easy for us to think that. It's easy for us to pull ourselves in the same place. I, I can justify doing anything that I want to do. 
guilty. There's tons of areas, I think, when believers, that we're guilty of this. Maybe a TV show or a movie that you know you shouldn't be watching, and you know it's just not right. It's just not the good thing to, to do, or it's not right, and, you know, it's there, but you kind of justify his way of saying, well, this is my guilty pleasure. You know, I mean, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but ah, it's my guilty pleasure. I, I kind of like it. It's funny. It's good. It's not that bad. It's far worse things I could be doing than, than this, and it's my guilty pleasure. It's okay. I'm just going to do it anyway, and that's easy for us to do. That unforgiveness... Gossip, indifference for the lost, things we believers can easily justify away. I want to think about the number three one there I said today, indifference for the lost. You realize the word speaks to that as being a a terrible thing, but yet so often it's easy for us just to kind of live our lives and do our thing and be okay with sin in our lives, isn't it? And when it hits us between the eyes, we say, well, yeah, but I'm not that bad of a person. I'm pretty good. I'm involved, I'm a decent person, I'm a decent giver, I'm a decent this, I'm a, a decent that. See, you see how the progression in our lives becomes, don't you? When all of a sudden we are, found, we are finding ourselves slaves to sin just like anybody else around us. In the first week of our series, we looked at Romans chapter 1. We looked at people that exchange the truth of God for a lie. I want to revisit Romans 1 again. Look at some of those verses following that. And man, if there's anything true in today's generations, these verses capture it. Romans 1, 28 and following says this. Furthermore, since they didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They became filled with every kind of wickedness and evil and greed and depravity. That's truth, isn't it? They are so full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice. Isn't the Bible sometimes reads our mail, doesn't it? They're gossips and they're slanderers and they're God-haters and insolent and arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Every cop would say amen. They disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Verse 3, 2. And this is what pierces the way people are living nowadays. And although they know God's righteous decrees, although they know that, that, these, that, that, that those who do these things, what it say, it says they deserve death. Although they know it's right, they know it produces death. They not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. God, I, I know this is not right. I know it's not what you want me to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. A, a great example of this would be uh, a couple of years ago, I lived on, and when I lived in Kalamazoo, Michigan, we lived on a major road. It was a busy road. And oftentimes it meant that I had to pull out in traffic uh, in front of people. I didn't like doing that, but I had to. And there was one time when I pulled out, and I'll be honest, I, I messed up. It was, I mean, maybe you're a perfect driver. You probably are. And no one else is ever wrong but you. But you. Uh, sometimes I'm wrong, I'll be honest. Not much. You know, pretty, pretty rarely. Once, I think, maybe once. But, uh, you know, I, I pulled out in traffic, and I pulled out. And this guy was rush, rushing down towards me, and I pulled out in front of him. And it caused me to have to swerve around me, and it was my fault. And so what I did is I kind of put the universal, I'm sorry, my bad, you know, sorry, you know, to him. I looked at him and just, you know, did that, you know, that works, right? It's supposed to work. Well, this guy buzzes around me, slams on his brakes, and pulls out his, you know, hand. He knows what's happening, you know, peeled the banana, you know, put it on top of his, of his, of his, of his, 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 his car. He, he flicked me off. He gave me the universal, you're bad symbol. You know, he flicked me off, and that was what it was. Now, this is the thing, is that the back of his car had, a, had an interesting sticker on it. It said, be radiant. 
Now, that may not mean much to you, but if you live in Kalamazoo, Michigan, you know Be Radiant. Be Radiant Church is a very large, great church. I mean, seriously, a great church that they have. And what they did is they gave their leadership, so the pastors and their elders and some people in the church, these stickers to put on the back of their cars. Okay, Be Radiant is supposed to be like a way to, you know, you know, advertise their church. And so here's this guy pulling out in front of me, slamming on his brakes, beep, doing this thing to me, you know, Be Radiant. And here he is right here giving another pastor in town the bird. I kind of laughed and he kind of spud off. But, you know, sometimes in our lives we look at sin like that, right? We know the right thing. We know the truth. We know what we're supposed to do. And in a lot of ways we're saying, God, I know the truth. I'm a fallen person, or this or I'm that, and we give ourselves a free pass to, to sin. We give ourselves a free pass and say, it's not that big of a deal. God, I know what you say in your commands. I know it's right and wrong, but yet I continue to do these things. I'm not a bad person. God, I'm not this big of a deal. Who are you to tell me what's right and wrong? Who are you to tell me this is, this is not a good idea? I do my thing, and I do my thing the way I'm supposed to. So I, want to, I know that we live in a gray world, and I acknowledge that, but I want to give you two black and white truths about how you can take, this, you can take these to the bank all day long that will help to dispel this mentality and this idea in your life if you, like me, sometimes struggle with this progression in your life too. The first one is this. You are a bad person. <laughs> Welcome to Bridgeview. We make you feel good about yourself, right? You are a bad person. Now, I don't want to make this a heavy thing, but the reality is this. You know yourself, don't you? I know some of you guys, and you know some of me. We're not all that great. Seriously, though, I think sometimes our preaching and sometimes our study today is so stuck and so sad on this idea that, man, I'm a good person. I'm under grace, not the law. I'm under all these kind of things. It's okay. You know, I just want to be helped, and I want to try harder and do better and that kind of thing. It's just kind of how it is. But you've got to understand first, I have to understand first, that I am a bad person. That deep down inside of me, there's a nature to sin. 1 John 1.8 says this. He says, he says, we claim to be without. He says, if we claim to be without sin. I mean, we don't always want to admit this, do we? Even as believers, it gets hard sometimes to admit that, man, I'm still not all that great of a person. Maybe times when you've done something good in your life, there's times when you've done something pretty great, and you kick it back in this way of things. So, man, you know what? I'm all right. I taught that class well. I did this good. I did that well. I did this and all that kind of thing. And we kick it back in our lives and say, I'm not all that bad of a person. If we continue that, if we're not, if we're not, not a bad person, we're living in this sort of true belief. This verse continues, 1 John 1 8. It says, We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Until you realize you're lost, you cannot be found. The other, the other uh, night, I was doing some dishes with my wife, and I can't cook. I've been kicked out of the kitchen permanently. And so my role on, on evenings is I, I do the dishes. And so, you know, sometimes I do them better than other times, to be honest, you know. Put a little effort more sometimes, a little less effort other times. And, and uh, this one night, last week, I was like, I'm going to do just an amazing job. I'm going to do a bang-up job. And my wife is kind of buzzed around. She was busy. And so I'm, you know, I'm getting all the spick and span. I'm cleaning the counters all up. I'm pulling all the stuff off, putting things away. You know, I'm cleaning the table off. I'm sweeping the floor, mopping, I'm dusting, I'm doing, man, I am doing a fantastic job. And my wife is buzzing around, and she doesn't notice. The nerve, 
of my wife to not notice how wonderful of a man that she married. Come on, babe. Don't you realize how great you have it? You could have married a jerk, but you married me. And I do the dishes for you. And I love on you. And I give you kisses. And I am awesome. Don't you? I was trying to, like, you know, get closer. Hey, what do you think about this, babe? I was fishing for compliments. And guess what? She didn't give me one compliment the whole night. And so I'm like, come on. Don't you realize how good you have it, babe? Isn't that sometimes how it is in our spiritual lives, too? Man, God, look what a great person I am. I, I'm pretty wonderful. I don't do these big sins. I'm not, a, I'm not sleeping with my, with, 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 uh, I'm not out there, you know, cheating my wife. I'm not cheating my taxes. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. <sighs> my God, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not too bad. I'm a pretty decent, pretty good person. And in reality, my nature is I'm desperately fallen. If I want proof, all I have to do is look back to that night and the pride and the arrogance that began to overtake me. And I realized how great of a guy I was. The reality is I'm not that great. Neither are you. None of us are. We, are, we, are, we live in a fallen world and we are fallen people. I, I, my heart's not always good. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, Your heart is deceitful above all things. Apart from God, we're nothing. We have to start at a place. Now, thankfully, it doesn't end here, but we have to start at a place where we realize I am not all as wonderful as I thought that I was going to be. God's grace has covered me, but don't forget from what? See, when I forget what God's grace has covered me from, and I walk in grace, and I walk in God's mercy, but yet I forget what he's given me grace and mercy from. I find it so easy for me to be full of myself and full of pride and full of arrogance. And guess what happens in those moments? I am susceptible to a fall. And so are you. We have to recognize some things sometimes. Altogether, Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean. Our righteous acts become like what? The Bible says like filthy rags. You know, most of you know the translation. If you don't, Google it because it's pretty good. Church, we cannot forget where we came from. We cannot forget what Jesus saved us from. I don't care if you're 10 minutes out of jail from robbing old ladies or the retirement fronts or if you've been in church for 100 years of your life. You are, you've come from the same place. We're not that great. Number one, you're a bad person, so am I. But black and white truth number two, you're a bad person. But hope from this truth comes when we actually seek Jesus and his forgiveness. The word says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first, and all these things are added unto you. Sometimes we get that backwards. We try to do the good thing. We try to do the right thing. We try to be good. We, we want to prove to the world we're pretty great people. We're great Christians. We're great this. We're great that. When we really forget how bad we are, what, 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 to find hope, to find freedom, to find goodness, always starts and stops on the yardstick, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the one who changes us and molds us and makes us. You may sit here and say, Pastor Steve, this is not very uplifting preaching. I don't feel very good about this right now. I hope not by yourself. But you know what? You have an incredible amount of hope. All of us do. You may be not that great of a person, neither am I. But yet Jesus Christ came into the world, died on the cross for your sins, died on the cross for my sins. 
became a yardstick, became the, the truth, became the way, became the life, became the way to show us what it meant to really live, to live with hope, that walks away from this idea that I'm a great person and says, I'm not that great, but I am great through Jesus Christ. That's it. Hope comes when we actually seek Jesus and his forgiveness. 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and he is a just God, and he will do what? Scripture says he will forgive us from our sins. God is faithful and just God. He will forgive us of our sins and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. I got to be honest, as a, the longer I know Christ, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I have to remind myself that Scripture is every bit as true today as it was years ago when I first started this journey with Him. I, this not, that part's not changed. I am made righteous, I am made clean, I am made pure because of what he has done in my life. And when I confess, when I give my life to him, when I give things to him, he then changes me and cleans me up. See, grace covers us when we take the grace covering upon our lives. Church, today there is power, there is authority, there is freedom, there is hope in the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah, Pastor Steve, no die. I know this. this is basic second grade stuff. I mean, come on, give me something else that I need to know. Well, let's get this in our lives, in our hearts, and not forget it, and then we'll move on. The basic truth of the gospel has not changed, whether you know Jesus for your entire life or you've known him for 10 minutes. I am made clean. I am made pure. I am made holy. I have my hope. It's found in nothing less than Jesus Christ. His righteousness. Second Corinthians seven ten says this, and if there's any verse that captures in the Bible where I'm where I am right now in my own personal life, again, I, I believe that I preach things open wide, you know, and, and I, I just recently God's given me kind of a new vision of my sin and how horrible it is and how I don't want to live under that anymore. It's not a it's not a, a it's not a it's not a chain thing. I don't feel chained down, but I realize that man, sin is not just what I can and cannot do. Sin separates me from the kind of life Jesus has offered me and I don't want to live under it anymore. I don't want to live like that. Jesus says in second Corinthians seven ten says this and says the godly godly sorrow in this deep agony of what I've done and can do, I'm profoundly sorry, Lord, for the way I've hurt you. The scripture here says, goes on, it says, godly sorrow, what does it bring? It says it brings repentance. Godly sorrow brings repentance. And what does that repentance lead to? It leads to salvation. And then what does it lead to? It leads to a life with no regret. Isn't that good news? Man, if you can't get excited about that, if you can't say, "Woo, that thank you, God, that's awesome news, then man, I want to ask you to check your pulse. That is good news. I don't have to live under this incredibly heavy burden of sin. I'm a bad person, yes, I'm all these things, sure, absolutely, but I've been offered the free gift of salvation. And what I need to do is come under the blessing, come under, put myself under the grace of God and be sorry for my sin. But then I go to him, confess these things, walk from him and say, Lord, I don't want to live like this anymore. And then it says that produces a life with no regrets. And our grace filled, you can 
have a happy life now. You can, God can, is there to make your life better. Yes, that is a sort of true thing. It's true. He's there to make our life better. But really, ultimately, he is there to make us better, isn't he? He's there to change us and make us and mold us. And let's be honest tonight, church, or today, church, I have tried many times in my life to do all the right things. And I come up short because I'm not that great of a person. But when I put myself under the, the covering, under the blessing, under the authority of Jesus, under the authority of his word, and I say, Lord, if your word says it, I'll do it. Lord, if my life, I want my life to reflect and look like you. Lord, I want you to change me and make me and mold me. And I start my life there, and I stop my life there every day, every day, day in and day out. Somehow the things that I'm, I can't do very well are going to change in my life and become a different person. Why? Because Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the answer. He's called us to a place of godly sorrow. And again, maybe this is depressing. I don't think it is tonight, but maybe you think it is today. But I think we've, we've preached a gospel to many people that says, oh, your sin is, you know, yeah, you messed it up. Sure, you messed it up. But God can take and clean you up, and that's it. And that's all, that's all it is. And I think we're, we're cheating people of the blessing Godly sorrow, Lord, I don't like what my sin does. Lord, I don't like how that changes me. Lord, I don't like how when I walk in sin, how it destroys me and how it makes me a man that I don't want to be. I don't want to be that guy who's prideful and arrogant and searching my wife to, to make, her, make her think how wonderful a guy I am. I hate that. I hope you do too tonight, today. So we can come to place and say, God, I don't want to be that way anymore. Lord, help me. Lord, change me. And not forget that basic truth of the gospel. We start to find where peace really is. I don't want to heap piles of guilt and condemnation on anyone. Actually, again, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The condemnation, if you feel that, you sense that, that's not from the enemy. Condemnation shows you what's wrong and leaves you there. God is not going to do that. He's not going to show you what's wrong and say, bam, that's where it stops. You have no hope. If you feel that today, you know on the authority of Scripture, that's not the way God intended for it to be. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He goes on and says, for the law of sin and death was, was weak and was powerless. It couldn't do it. The reality is, is that, yes, there's no condemnation. God takes me where I was. God takes me where, I, where, I, where I, I've been in the past. And he moves me along. He changes me up. He redeems me by his blood. He changes my life and makes me into a new person. Bless God. Thank you, Jesus. You have set us free from sin. Godly sorrow leads us to repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is simply is this. It's, it's two, two parts, two words. It's re, which means turn, and pent, which means hire. It's where we get the word penthouse from. You know, living in the penthouse is a pretty great place. It's the, the top. It's the best. It's everything. You know, re means to turn, and pent means to go to the higher thing. When I sin, when I realize my, my, my situation, Lord, God, my pride, my arrogance, Lord, I turn away, I repent, I turn to you, and God, I don't want that in my anymore more in my life. Bring freedom to my life, Jesus. I'm not going to try harder. I'm not going to try to do better. I'm going to start first by letting Jesus begin to change me and mold me and make me to what he wants me to be. Repent means to turn to the lower things and turn to the higher way in God. 
The coolest news about repentance is that it takes, it makes it just as if I'd never sinned before. It's gone. He forgets it. And I call the name of Jesus. I become, I become a Canis Castius, which is Greek, which is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Man, come up with you could could have seen this morning. I'm filled with the power of the power of the Holy Spirit, and I don't have to live under the authority and under the power of sin anymore. It's God, I'm growing closer to you. You are real, you are holy, you are pure, you are right, you are truth. Lord, I want to live to please my I want my life to live to please you. And truthfully, I, I think in many ways in our churches nowadays, we see people that are challenged to press with the, the truth that they're a bad person in need of Savior and just going through this idea that I, if I'm bad, if I'm wrong, I, I just don't want to get caught. And it goes so much deeper than that. I don't want to just not get caught for my sin. I, don't want, to just, I want gone. I want forgotten. I want it gone from my life. And I'll, t- I'll be honest with you, church. It's easy for people like us that are believers, that have been believers for a long time to forget the power of sorrow over sin. But remember that it doesn't leave us there. It doesn't make us stop there. As we prayed, as we sought God's face over the phone a few nights ago, man, I heard a different word. I heard a different place, a different tune come to his life. As he began to find freedom from this thing in his life. And now we're going to start keeping him accountable and all these kind of things. Folks, there is freedom from sin. There is freedom from this garbage. If we'll let God take it out of our lives, we've got to first come to him and say, Lord, I need you, Jesus. Why don't you stand tonight, today, across this room? Just stand up. I want to encourage you not to look around and just close your eyes. I want to remind you of 2 Corinthians 7.10. It says this. I read it before. I read it again. For the kind of sorrow God wants for us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow. What a way to end a sermon on sorrow. Well, that's, it doesn't end there. Because Isaiah 118 brings us the good news. It says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. What is an area of your life of sin that you've justified? I want you to, again, bow your head, close your eyes. No one looking around this morning. A moment between you and Jesus. What is an area of your life that you have justified in your life? You've heard mine this morning. Mine is pride. I am prideful. And mine, that's an area of my life that I've justified for a long time. What is it for you today? Is it pride? Is it arrogance? Maybe for you it's, you know, there's some things like gossip or, or there's overspending or bitterness. or There's a critical spirit or lust or whatever it might be. What area of your life are you living with for far too long? And you need victory in that area. I want to ask you today, if you don't have it right now, say, God, I want what the scripture says. I want freedom. I want peace. And Lord, God, make me sorrowful. Lord, take this away because I don't want this to happen in my life anymore. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Your sins are like scarlet. They shall be as white as snow.